Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepherd. After walking and cycling the length of Britain, she fancied another challenge, something that had never been done before. So she grabbed her stand-up paddleboard and off she went. This is Fiona Quinn and she is on Why in the World. We're sitting in London. It's a sunny Saturday morning. It's actually gorgeous in London. It's amazing. Fiona Quinn, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me in the flat to start with and um, being inside on a day where we definitely all should just be outside. We I should. Think. We should have done this on a hill somewhere. Yes, we definitely <laughs> should have. If someone could put a three-point plug on a hill somewhere and let me know where in London, that that'd would be, be wonderful. That would be handy. I'm just going to do that. And Fiona, I wanted to talk to you particularly about one specific adventure, which I'm sure we're going to get onto. But I want to start just by chatting a little bit about how you got into this lifestyle and how kind of adventuring became a big part of your life. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I would never have said that I was like sporty or anything like that as a child. Like I didn't like kind of getting outside and getting dirty at all. And then um, I was made redundant for my job actually. I think it was back in 2014. And uh, I heard about this micro uh, festival that was happening. Uh, so I went along uh, with a complete strangers. I didn't know anyone who was there. And this guy, um, Al Humphreys, spoke about this idea of micro adventure. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Just sleeping for one one night out under the stars, no tent. So I did it. I went and had to go, and it was kind of all from there that everything else kind of started, really. Sleeping out under the stars without a tent is a scary prospect for somebody that maybe wasn't hugely outdoorsy or hugely sporty at the time. Yeah, it was a bit different, but I kind of I was in that. I guess I was kind of in that headspace where I wanted to do something that was a bit different. I just didn't feel like my, you know where I was in my life at the time was right for me. So I, I wanted to take on that, I guess, mini challenge of, of just seeing what it would be like and seeing if I'd enjoy it or not. You mentioned about redundancy there. Did you see kind of redundancy as an opportunity to change your life in a way? 100%. I was so glad I was made redundant. It was brilliant, <laughs> which is not the reaction that most people give to being made redundant. But I mean, I, I kind of wanted to make a change anyway. So it was just that push that I needed to mm. get out there and, and make, a, make, some, make my life a bit different. So you go to this festival. What happens then? What do you decide to do? How does it all start? So um, I grabbed two friends and some bottles of wine and we we head out on a train out of London and we find a hill down in Kent somewhere and um, we watch the sunset from a lovely hill and have a really terrible night's sleep and realise that actually I quite like being outside. (laughs) (laughs) It's one to do with the wine, two to do with the fact of sleeping outside. That first night, was it scary? It wasn't scary actually, it was... Which is weird because I've wild, wild camped on my own since and that has been a bit scary. But okay. I think because I was with two friends and it was Kent, it didn't really feel, <laughs> it didn't feel like too intimidating. Where's the most wild you have camped? Oh, the most wild. Well, uh, not necessarily a wild camp as much, but um, up on the north coast of Scotland. So I was following um, the very north, most northerly road. And it was blowing a gale. I think it was something like 60 mile an hour winds or something. So I was trying to camp on a campsite. And this was in maybe like April, I think. So it was super early in the season. There was like nobody else on the campsite. And I was really worried that my tent was going to blow away or like get damaged in some way. So I packed up the tent and went and slept in the toilet block instead. <laughs> it was really sheltered and warm. It's brilliant. <laughs> it must have smelled slightly brucey. <laughs> so from that first festival and from that first night where you decided to go and find the hill in Kent and have the little sleep and you thought, oh, yes, it's all right, this. 
How has it progressed to doing the sort of things that you do now, like the big multi-day adventures? It's definitely been a slow progression. It wasn't mm. like I woke up the next day and was like, right, I'm going to go and you know do something crazy. It was, okay, I kind of like sleeping out for one night, so maybe I could do that another time at a friend's place. Like, So a friend lives down in Devon and I went down to see him and we went and slept out um, down in Dartmoor, which was really cool. And then I got a bike, so I started cycling and going on sort of longer, you know, maybe 10 hour adventures on the bike. And then that kind of turned into multi-day adventures on the bike and then kind of bigger ideas grew from there, really. It's just one thing after another, like that snowball effect, if you will. 100%, yeah. It's just kind of small little pushes of my comfort zone until I kind of get comfortable and then move on to the next thing. So what was the first big thing then, the first multi-day adventure or the first thing that you remember kind of properly sparking off this love for now longer adventure things so it's very much um this thing i called the cam triathlon um so this was a couple years after i think i did that first wild camp and uh, i grew up near cambridge but i'd never really spent much time on the river cam so i wanted to explore it a bit more and so i decided that i would walk the whole length from source to sea and then i'd cycle the whole length and then I would stand up paddleboard a bit in the middle. Um, so I don't like the water. I'm pretty scared of the water. <laughs> so there's no way I was going to swim it. So I was like, oh, paddleboarding, I can do that. So it's awesome, you know, seeing a one river, which I've grown up pretty much next to, from three different angles. And, and even walking and cycling is very different, different routes. Mm. So it's really interesting. Where did you find stand-up paddleboarding? Because that's what we're going to focus on in a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah. Where did you find that to start with? Because it's not a traditional cycling swimming mountaineering running something a little bit different it is definitely it was actually um i was visiting a friend out in barcelona and uh she was at work so i've got to... friends all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> um so i i needed to film my time basically while she was at work find something to do during the day so yeah i was just googling away and found stand-up paddleboarding uh, on barcelona beach i was like oh, that seems kind of cool i wonder what that's all about was it an instant love um no <laughs> so it's actually i think i was the very first client that this guy had he's just set up his new paddleboarding company and um and it would happen to be a one-to-one session and he said so took me out it was supposed to be an hour and after 45 minutes i was completely knackered and <laughs> pretty scared of falling in so I was, i'm done <laughs> i want to come in well, with your fear for the water that we've just discovered which i did not know about oh. it my mind a little bit yeah <laughs> what is it about the water that you're not a fan of well um when i was really young i'm not sure how old i was maybe like four i think i nearly drowned <laughs> so um yeah i was on a holiday and um i went down the slide and i thought my mum was gonna be at the end of it and she wasn't so i was kind of like slightly drowning in this swimming pool um and then i managed to rescue myself and pull myself out to the side so ever since then i've kind of been a bit worried about deep water okay. i think if i'm in a pool or somewhere where i feel like i can rescue myself then i feel all right but out on the sea like I just get a bit scared explain the exertion that you get stand up paddle boarding people may not have tried it a lot of people run a lot of people cycle they know how that feels they yeah. know what they have to use and work but stand up paddle boarding is a little bit different it is and it very much depends what the conditions are like where you're doing it so if you're doing it inland on sort of flat you know pretty calm water not much wind it's really super easy like honestly it might look a little bit tricky in terms of the balance, but they're so stable on flat water, it's incredible. So in that situation, you're really just jumping on there. If you're not really going very far, it's, it's pretty easy. If you're going to do more of a long distance thing, or if it's on the scene, you've got swell and tight and the, you know, the tides to contend with and, and wind, 
and it is much more of it it's really a full body workout it's not just kind of one one part of your body that's sort of feeling it more than others I don't know it's hard to describe what it's yeah. like really it's go and have a go yeah definitely go and have a go yeah there's so many places you know all across the country and all over the world that you can do it and it's such an easy thing to just jump on and, and do so let's get into the big challenge which was last year I believe it was indeed you decided to do Land's Enter John O'Groats yep but you decided to do it a little bit differently to the traditional way of doing Land's Enter John O'Groats I did you decided to do it on a stand-up paddleboard <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. From the first time that you tried stand-up paddleboarding in Barcelona, because your mate was at work and you needed something to do, <laughs> did you ever think something like this would come to fruition and actually happen? Not in the slightest. I'm not I'm not sure entirely when that paddle, first paddleboarding trip was. I think it was before I'd done any other really, really big stuff. So it hadn't even occurred to me that I was in future years turn this into some kind of crazy adventure where was that idea born where was it nurtured that you were going to do this or you fancied doing this in london like there's kind of a real adventure scene in london if you can find it like there's some awesome people doing some really cool stuff and there's lots of kind of social groups where you can meet other crazy people who want to do crazy (laughs) adventures so it kind of came through there i'd met um, several different sort of professional adventurers. Um, Sean Conway was a huge inspiration for me. He um, he swam the length of Britain about five years ago. He was the first person to do that. He'd also run it dressed as Forrest Gump and cycled it too. So he was the first person to do a length of Britain triathlon. So it's kind of, I guess, off the back of people like him that really inspired me to go for something bigger. And why stand up paddleboarding? Why not something more traditional? Well, I obviously am scared of sea, so there's no way you're going to get me in the sea. So there's no way I would swim it. And I, after Googling, I realised that no one had ever stand up paddleboard it before. So I was like, oh, that sounds, you know, kind it of cool. to be the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the adventure itself. How far is it? How many days was it going to be? The planning and preparation that you had to put into it. It must have been a logistical nightmare for you. It was. It was, of all the adventures I've ever done, it was the hardest one to plan. So in all, it took me 81 days. So just over, I think, two and a half months. And just 35 of those days were paddling. So there was a lot of bad weather waiting for good weather to go out and paddle. But I thought, because no one had ever done it before, it was so hard to plan. I thought, you know, maybe it might take four, six months. I just had no idea. In terms of the planning, so because I'm scared of the sea and had like no experience That's with the mad. sea. That's mad. Do you think you kind of chose that because of the fear of the sea as well? It was Because you could have done something on land. Yeah, you? yeah. Do you think it was kind of like to conquer a fear a little bit or to just be like, look, I know I've got this fear but I'm still going to do something on the water. A hundred percent. Like, I think, certainly initially I came up with the idea, I was like, could I do that? Could I paddleboard the length of Britain or is that just too ridiculous? And the more I thought about it, I was like, no, like, I I really want to see if I can do this. Mm. I wonder if I could. I think it makes it more impressive, actually. (laughs) I think it does. Now, knowing that, I think it makes it incredibly, incredibly impressive because you're just, you're literally... Well, how how thick is a stand-up paddleboard? Oh, three inches. Yeah, maybe maybe slightly. Yeah, about three yeah, or four three, inches. You're, yeah. you're that far away yeah. from your biggest fear. Yeah. <laughs> constantly. <laughs> and you're constantly thinking about it, and it's constantly yeah. going through your head. Every day, like getting off the support boat and onto my board, I certainly in the beginning, I'd feel physically sick. I thought I was going to throw up. I was so scared. Like it was just a real challenge just to get on the board. Obviously, the more I did it 
the more like with anything in life the mm. more you get comfortable with it like I'm still scared to see now um, I went sailing um, with my work team a couple of weeks ago and I just even on a boat I still feel pretty scared of the sea but yeah it's just, I think and certainly for me it just feels like much, so much more of an, an accomplishment to have done it really. so explain the route which way did you go because that's so, why I was talking to people about this episode lots of people wonder which way did you go <laughs> so I went up the west coast so Silent Land's End um, up the west coast of Cornwall um, a little bit of Devon over to Lundy Island across the Bristol Channel over to, to Wales then I decided that it would be easier to paddleboard up the east coast of Ireland rather than the west coast of Wales. So I paddleboarded across the Irish Sea, up the east coast of Ireland, back over the Irish Sea to Scotland. And then I cheated a little bit and went through the Caledonian Canal rather than around the top. <laughs> I think that I think we can give you that. I think we can. I don't think that is cheating too much, to be perfectly honest. When you were at certain points of that trip, like in the Irish Sea, you're looking round you must have not been able to see anything else but no. water. That must have been quite a terrifying situation and scenario for you. Yeah, it was pretty scary. I mean, it's, it's also kind of interesting, though, because I think in my mind, certainly in the lead up to the Irish Sea crossing, I, to me, I was like, it's just like any other bit of paddling, right? Like I've got my support boat right there. You know, I've got um, a tracker on me with like an instant rescue kind of button on it. You know, like I'm pretty I should be pretty covered safety wise. So paddling up the coast, because generally when we were paddling up the coast, we'd be maybe two or three miles away from land, so taking the most direct route. So in my head, I was kind of like, well, paddleboarding across the Irish Sea is just, I'm just paddleboarding, like, it's just, even though I can't see land, I was trying to, like, rationalise it, but, like, it's fine. Like, it's just like any other bit of paddling. And then everyone kept going, oh, you know, there's, like, 12 species of shark and 30 species of whale or something like that in the Irish Sea. I was like, seriously, why are you telling me this? Um, so, yeah, the day before I crossed over, I got really, really scared again. Was that the bit that you were building up in your head through the whole journey, do you think? Were you thinking towards the Irish Sea and thinking towards those few days that you need to spend there? Not really, no. But but then everybody else started to, and that kind of made me think maybe I should be... Like, guys, a little... <laughs> confidence, yeah. please. It made me feel a bit more scared, which was odd. But actually, the day that we crossed over the Irish Sea, like, it was glass which never happens in the Irish Sea so I was incredibly lucky that it didn't you know like change halfway through when we were 20 miles away from land some of the photos from you spending those days on the Irish Sea if you haven't seen them go over to Fiona's Instagram just have a look because they are just stunning I mean some of the photos as a whole from that trip are just unbelievable you must go back and look at them now quite a few months removed now and think that's amazing. That looks incredible. Like, did I actually do that? 100%. I still think, did I actually paddle with the length of Britain? It still seems like this crazy kind of dream that happened. And, you know, it's incredible memories that I've got from that. And it was it was amazing. Not only the personal challenge, but just discovering different parts of our country. Like, mm. I don't think we appreciate enough how much of an amazing adventure playground we have in Britain. Do you think the UK is undervalued? Oh, massively, yeah. I mean, we have everything from gorgeous beaches all the way from Cornwall up to, you know, the west coast of Scotland. It's gorgeous. We've got mountains and lakes and rivers and we've got beautiful seas. Like, it's... We're so lucky. You've seen a few of them. Have a little bit. You've seen a few of the beautiful seas. (laughs) We were talking about the Irish Sea and you mentioned the support crew and the fact that they were thinking about it. When you approached people with this idea... Yeah. And when you approached your support crew, what was their reaction to this monumental challenge? It was incredibly difficult finding a support crew. Um, I mean, I was completely self-funded, so I couldn't afford to pay anybody to be with me. So it was just expenses. So finding someone that could take you know months off work 
um, and, and come and spend that time following a crazy woman up the length of Britain was very, very difficult. So initially I managed to find my photographer, Liam. So I was, you know, as you mentioned, the, the photos were incredible and it was only because I had him with me. And then I couldn't find a skipper for my support boat. For love and money, I couldn't find anyone that would, would come and do that. Um, so Liam ended up skippering my support boat for me. So he was 22, he'd never skippered a boat in his life. So it was an incredible adventure for him too. What about family and friends when you went to them with the initial idea? I think they're like, oh, that's a lovely idea, Fiona. <laughs> they didn't actually think that I would do it. Even like a week out from the start, my mum was like, you know, you haven't got a skipper yet. You haven't got your support boat yet. You're not really going to do this, are you? I think though that was actually the part of the draw to it. Like not only the fact that I was scared of the sea, but the fact that people didn't think I could make this happen and, and the fact that it was such a logistical nightmare. Like it was so unachievable that it was so freeing to just be like, well, if I keep going, I've got nothing to lose. Like until there comes a point where I actually physically can't go any further. I just really wanted to see what would happen if I kept pushing. What sort of training do you put into it? None. <laughs> because I was scared of sea, I didn't want to like try and train loads on the sea and then like scare myself out of doing it so I'd only paddleboarded on the sea three times before I left I think that's the greatest answer I've had <laughs> with any question like that how, how much training did you put into it? none <laughs> fair enough I feel like sometimes with these challenges there is a slight element of naivety it's a slight element of just look I don't want to realise quite how hard this is going to be whether it's mentally or physically so just going to go out and do it what's the worst that can happen absolutely that sort of feeling totally and I think that's you know with lots of crazy ideas whether that's going on some random adventure or setting up a new business like you have to be naive enough to just give it a go and see what will happen but also you could never plan for everything you know paddleboarding the length of Britain no one's ever done it before so you don't necessarily know you know all the things that you would need to plan for so trying to tick all the boxes um, before you leave is just kind of almost impossible really mm. through the journey obviously there was hardship there must have been difficult days is there any that stand out particularly so up on the west coast of Scotland there's a little bit of um, water that's kind of tricky <laughs> it's uh, near the Isle of Jura um, and the Mile of Kintai it's kind of in that that region and there's a whirlpool called Corrivacan which is the world's third largest whirlpool and so my route took me not super close, but sort of round that way. I had to go round that way to get to the to the Caledonian Canal. And um, on this particular day, um, my crew needed to, to go and do a crew change um, and refuel the boat. But we didn't want to like lose lose time on the tide, so they were like, right, we're going to leave you for ninety minutes. We're going to go and do this crew change and refuel, and we'll be back. Like you'll be absolutely fine. We're sort of we're not out in the exposed bit of sea, so you can't get blown out to sea or anything. Um, we don't expect there to be much tide. So if you get pulled anyway, hopefully if you just stay to the edge of the channel, you get pulled away from the whirlpool. Um, so my crew leave me and the, the day is actually, it's a gorgeous day, a bit like today, not a breath of wind. You know, the, the sea is completely flat. So I'm paddling along quite happily. And then I, there's some sort of little islands in the middle of the channel. And my crew are like, if you get there, just kind of beat yourself on the islands or whatever and we'll come and meet you. If you but we don't think you're going to make it that far up the channel before we get back. So I'm paddling along and I actually make it there quite quickly. And I'm like, oh, maybe I was paddling really well today. <laughs> well, maybe the tide's a little bit stronger than I thought it was going to be. And then I start being pulled not only towards the islands, but sort of further towards the whirlpool. And so um, I send my skipper a quick text. And I'm like, please hurry, the tide's really strong. And so they've actually started coming back out, but I can't see them yet. And I'm being pulled behind the islands. So, and they don't even expect me to be up that far. So they don't entirely know where I am. 
And then the water around me starts getting a bit more swirly. And sort of as my board hits the swirly water, it kind of throws it around a bit. So I'm like dropping to my knees for stability. I don't want to fall in the water right now. It's like the worst situation ever. So I'm sort of just, I'm like, to begin with, I'm like, it's fine. I just keep paddling. And I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't fight the tide. I couldn't beach myself on the island. So I just wanted to maintain where I was in the water and not get pulled towards the whirlpool anymore. A couple of minutes later, my skipper phones and he's like, where are you? We can't find you. So I probably answered the phone the worst way possible, just crying my heart out. Like, I'm being pulled towards a whirlpool. I'm going to die. Where are you? Like 30 seconds into this call, all the water around me just shifts again. And it turns into this one big circle and I'm in the middle of it. And I knew that other whirlpools developed at different tide states. And they wouldn't get as big as, as the main whirlpool. But I didn't know how big they got. So I was just on my phone to my skipper. Obviously, I can't paddle while I'm on the phone. Um, so I just gave him a quick sort of rundown of where I thought I was, like pointing out the things that I could see. And then I hung up on him. and was just paddling like crazy to get to this edge of the circle. And then just as I got to the edge of the circle, then I saw my boat on the horizon. <laughs> it was coming towards me. And... I was just so incredibly relieved they came, they came past and scooped me up out of the water and I was just, I've never been more relieved from anything in my life. But I did a bit of Googling about the whirlpool afterwards because I wanted to find out a bit more about it and it turns out there's a production company that did an experiment and they were like, oh, I wonder if this whirlpool could like pull somebody under. So they threw in <laughs> like a, a life-size dummy with a life jack and a depth gate. <laughs> And, uh, and it got pulled 262 metres down to the seafloor, dragged along the seabed and then chucked out further down currents. That's the equivalent of having symptoms for an illness and going home and Googling them. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst thing to do. Oh, my God. So that, that was a proper close call then. That was, yeah. And, and this, like, the whirlpool is, is so, so big and so powerful that even if, like, if we'd been a lot closer and my even if my support crew had been able to get me out of the water, if my boat had been pulled into the whirlpool, my boat would not have been able to get out of the whirlpool. We'd have to have called the Coast Guard. I think people will think of stand-up paddleboarding as quite a safe thing, but I think <laughs> that story may just have... Just, just made them realise quite how powerful the elements are and yeah. quite how powerful and sort of helpless you are to the sea, the wind, the rain. That must have been something you really had to take into account as well. You mentioned already the weather. Was it difficult to decide when you were able to go out and when you couldn't go out during the challenge? Or was it very easy for you to think if the weather's at all bad, it's, it's not the right day for it? I mean, sometimes it was difficult to make those calls. It, it definitely was. Like we definitely wanted to make progress. And it's difficult to know, like all, of all the kind of different apps that you can get that will tell you about what the weather's going to be like. It, it's very different, you know, three miles from shore than one mile from shore. So sometimes it might look like it was good and we would head out and it was maybe a bit too much, um, too much wind or too much swell. Um, but most of the time we were we were pretty on point. We would make sure that, the, you know, the, the swell was very low and that the wind was also very low or, or with going with me. So it would kind of push me along. I, that story I can't quite get over that story <laughs> paddling away from a middle of a whirlpool do you go back to that a lot yeah a little bit yeah I mean that's you know that it's a pretty good story huh <laughs> it's a pretty good story it's a very very good story we've talked about those difficult moments and the most difficult moment there must have been high points 
There must have been incredible weather days, flat water days, days where you're out there. It's quite lonely, I would imagine, sometimes on the paddleboard on yourself, but also very freeing, I would imagine. Yeah. What were those personal highlights for you? In terms of the loneliness, it's an interesting question, I think, because having done other adventures previously that have been solo and self-supported, a lot of people would think that that's quite, quite a lonely thing to do. But I always found going solo, you meet so many people. Yeah. It's incredible. It's I think inherently people will think you're on your own, you're carrying your own kit, you're sleeping on your own, you're on your own. But actually, if you're on a mountain or if you're running or you're cycling, there is always other people doing the same thing as you or similar things to you. And then that almost brings you closer together because you're sharing in the experience. Absolutely, yeah, Whereas, yeah. one, you're the first person ever to do this. <laughs> Two... You're standing on a paddleboard, surrounded by something you're scared of. <laughs> and three, you are literally just on there on your own. It must have been very lonely. I, I don't know. I quite like being on my own. Okay. But this was, it was just a different kind of experience because I had crew on this adventure. You know, Liam was with me, my photographer, Com Skipper, he was with me for pretty much the whole thing. So doing something with someone else... Um, was a very different experience but it was certainly more lonely in the fact that we didn't really meet people outside of my crew very much because we were just kind of on the the days that I weren't paddling we would just go into marina you know resort the boat trying to sleep whatever but people wouldn't really come up to you and be like oh what are you doing because everybody else was on a boat in a marina it wasn't anything different and obviously you don't really meet people out of sea so (laughs) from that perspective it was more lonely but it was really also really nice having that crew with me and you know having people at the end to celebrate with normally when I get to the end of an adventure I'm like oh at the end probably because that's something people don't (laughs) realise particularly if you're doing these adventures that you've created in your own head yeah a lot of the time you finish something and you're just like oh Oh, I better go home and have a bath, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's literally just that. With this, though, obviously finishing it, it was a big thing. It was a first time. There must have been a lot of people there to welcome you back. You must have enjoyed that experience hugely, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it was John O'Groat, so it's a pretty hard part of the country to get to. So there wasn't huge crowds. But yeah, my crew were there and some members of the public had sort of seen me paddleboarding in off the North Sea and they're like, what on earth is she doing? So they were kind of cheering me in, which was really lovely. It was a really nice way to finish. Were you proud of yourself for that moment? Not necessarily for that moment, but I think for the whole thing, like just, yeah daring myself to do something crazy yeah and something you're scared of yeah as well so highlights I want to touch on that were there any days that stood up there were some incredible moments mainly with dolphins you know having wild dolphins come and swim right next to my board there's videos of this isn't there there are videos yeah yeah there are incredible videos again another reason to have Liam with me was amazing to be able to get that footage yeah I think about four or five different times they came and one particular time was on the Irish Sea. So we'd paddled 30 of the 40 miles. And so we were 10 miles away from shore. And we're all, you know, we'd be on the sea, I think, 12 hours at this point or something. And it was a super foggy day. So we're all kind of a bit a bit drained. And then suddenly someone would shout, dolphin! <laughs> and then everyone would run and grab a camera and <laughs> just try and get, you know, capture the dolphins. And they'd come and swim next to us. And it, yeah, it was amazing. Let's sum it up and just give everybody the distance what was the overall distance that you did so it's 800 miles 800 miles how long were you on the board for do you know that oh so it's 35 days of paddling but i haven't worked out how many like hours a day could be like six hours or 12 hours and how was your body when you finished 
actually I was fine <laughs> because it was so spread out like 35 days of paddling over 51 days it was a lot easier paddling wise than I thought it was going to be post challenge did you get any of that adventure blues that people talk about um I don't think so I think for me because I'd done other advent like other big adventures previously having walked and cycled down to Britain as well like this was kind of I kind of knew what to expect and, mm. and it was kind of all leading into something a bit bigger so. how did those two previous challenges kind of relate to this one what was different the fear element was different I think on the previous two everybody else had kept telling me oh you know be really careful and I'm like I was just like what of like, I wasn't scared at all like walking and cycling right. what's the matter with <laughs> but on the sea I was no one told me to be careful and I was like I'm terrified <laughs> in fact by the time then they're all scaring you even more yeah absolutely but certainly the first two, I think the endurance mindset of being, you know, like in really bad weather, really, really tired, um, but still having to push forward. I think developing that adventure mindset comes over time. You, it's a bit difficult to kind of just go on one big adventure and immediately get that. I think. Is there anything else that you've got in mind? I'm sure there are crazy things and I'm more than happy for you not to share them <laughs> if they're in your head, but... Is there anything else? I've got some ideas. I don't have anything fixed that I'm definitely going to do okay. yet, but there's some stuff swimming around, yeah. And I think it would be really nice kind of to sum this all up. We started speaking about how you got into adventure, heading to a festival and hearing from people like Al about micro-adventures. Mm. If someone's listened to this and they may be, oh, they've got this little niggle in the back of their brain that they want to do something, what would you say to them? go for it it's so easy and particularly like water-based stuff so and I'm so lucky that after you know you mentioned kind of uh, post-adventure blues like I now work for a company like helping other people get on the water Uh, so yeah borrow a boat and we kind of have lots and lots of different ways of doing it from going on like a supported adventure up in Scotland to sort of just jumping on a paddleboard anywhere in the world and there's so many incredible ways of getting on the water that I would you know whatever your your adventure idea is I would highly recommend that you go and give it a go what has this life bought you this lifestyle oh endless possibilities I think it's just really opens up my world like my, my world view to think you know what could I do that I previously thought was impossible Isn't that Whirlpool story completely insane? Once again, thank you to Fiona for coming on. If you want to catch up with that again, make sure you head to our Instagram. We've posted it on our IGTV. We are at whyintheworldpod. And once again, if you haven't rated, reviewed or subscribed, please go and get that done for us. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time with a brand new episode of Why in the World. So I'll catch you then.